All right. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only podcast. Yes, this I am Ben Standard and I cover the Washington football team for the athletic, which means today I was at FedEx Field along with uh, over 60,000 fans. Probably half were rooting for the other team and that other team, the Dallas Cowboys, beat the Washington football team 27-20, but it didn't feel like it was that close. Here to discuss with me whether he thinks it was that close or or what else we thought about Taylor Heineke, Antonio Gibson, and everything else is our friend from 106.7 The Fan, Grant Paulson. Mr. Paulson, I appreciate the time. It's been a long day. You've got fantasy football games going on right now with the, in the Packers world, so I appreciate the, 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 the time. How are you feeling? Did you get home from the game? Did you get some snacks? Did you relax a little bit? Did you Are, are, are you in a good state of mind despite the uh, tough day for the football team? I am. I'm doing well. I will say just kind of aside from everything that happened because there were more people at the game than there have been, I think at any point this season traffic to and from the stadium today was kind of a show. So I I kept finding myself over and over again today, thinking about the fans who paid a lot of money to be there, both when they were down big early. And as I was sitting in traffic coming or going, you know, that's not a, an easy thing to give up the day, maybe pay for a babysitter, a lot of money on tickets, and then a complete egg laid in the first half. Now, they ultimately did make it a game, but uh, parking, you know, is tough and getting in and out is hard and it's cold. So, you know, a lot of money was shelled out and you want to get a little return on the investment. Hopefully people enjoyed their tailgates and enjoyed their time with some friends and, and got a little enjoyment out of uh, some of the moments in the game that were entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's been long enough now that I've been doing this that I sort of forget some to to a, to a degree the idea of being a fan and going to these things. Um, and you're right, you know, the last two years, obviously last year there were no fans. And this year, you know, the stadium has been half empty um, mo- almost every game. This was definitely the most fans. And even though I said probably, I don't know, roughly half were Dallas. Some people in the press boxings are more than 50% Dallas fans. I don't know. Um I enjoyed the fact that there were people there and I, I do, uh, I, I get there usually about two and a half, three hours before kickoff. And there was definitely more traffic than normal today. It wasn't like insane when I got there, but it progressively got worse. And so I do appreciate the fact that obviously it'd be better if everybody there was rooting for the home team, but it's baby steps on that front. So it was good to see people going back out and doing the thing that that we all have won, have, have been doing for as sports fans for years and years and years. And yes, you would prefer this is the thing with sports, right? You go to Broadway play, you're feeling pretty confident. You're going to get your money's worth assuming what you're paying tickets for something you want to see sports. You never know. It might be the best game ever, or it could be a total clunker. And this was mostly a clunker for most of it. But yeah, hopefully people, I don't know. It's also the lead up. There was a lot of fun lead up to this game. Um, and, and, and hopefully that added some, some enjoyment to it. Even though, as we said, once the game started, it went off the rails pretty quick. Yeah, it did. And I think that was maybe the the most disappointing thing for fans of the football team is there really was some juice to this game and there really was uh, some excitement leading up to it with McCarthy's comments, whether you thought he made a guarantee or he didn't, he went out on a limb and said something coaches normally don't. Uh, Mari Cooper kind of backed him up and said something very similar on the radio. Jerry Jones was trolling a little bit talking about how many fans of the Cowboys there are in DC and and then it's kind of a stronghold for them and maybe their second biggest market for selling merch and getting support outside of Dallas. And then you had the story first thing this morning that 
you know, they had their own benches brought in on the sidelines. So there was, you know, Cowboys literally painted all over FedEx on the, on the visiting sideline, which is abnormal and doesn't really happen. So it was kind of one thing after another leading up to the game. Uh, and and there, it felt good. It, it felt like a rivalry. It felt big and, and like an important matchup and uh, like Washington was ready to go and there was an intensity to it. Uh, and then th- they just came out flat and kind of got punched in the mouth. Some bodies dropped here and there as the game went on. And while they scratched and clawed and, and eventually made it a game, cause I thought Dallas's offense kind of was very pedestrian to be honest with you. Uh, they got back into it. it. It really was never as close to me as the score would indicate. I mean, they had the ball with a chance to tie in the fourth quarter uh, down seven, which is kind of insane because it felt like they were down 30 really yeah. uh, from up to the game. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's a bogger thing. We'll get into that, whether you should take some inspiration from the fact that, or they should take some inspiration from the fact that they got close or should the focus be a lot of the problems that they've been sort of masking during this winning streak all came back at once. That was kind of my story that I wrote up on the athletic um, that should be, that'll be live by the time you hear this, that's actually live right now. Uh, we're talking Sunday night. So you can check that out. Um, and just some quick plugs. Yeah, of course, go, go subscribe to the athletic. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, or you can, if you're an athletic subscriber, you can find it there ad free. And of course uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben standard. Grant is on Twitter at, at Grant H Paulson, right? Um, and of course, he's got the uh, afternoon drive time on 106.7 The Fan Monday through Friday. I will just say on Tuesday, this Tuesday, he's gonna have a uh, he's gonna have a show after him that, that we'll just say we're gonna hope we're gonna keep up the ratings. It's me and Bridger only 6:30 to nine. You can check that out on 106.7 The Fan. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's start with the let's just start with with the with the offense and kind of what i was saying about the idea that so many of the problems that they've been masking for the last i shouldn't say been masking per se but like so many things that were, at least for me i kind of going all right you know when does the taylor heineke and when do the rails fall off of this of this train it's not that he hasn't played well he is you know he's continually to succeed expectations let's not be let's not be mis you know anybody mis, mis, uh, mistake what i'm saying here but, like, he's been living dangerously. The Vegas game we saw, obviously, last week, Vegas dropped an interception that should basically seal the, seal the win for them. That, that didn't happen. He's throwing balls high a lot. You know, it just – it feels like there's worse outcomes that he's been avoiding. Today, that did not happen. Um, it wasn't completely all on his fault. The offensive line is in tatters right now. The, we're back to the, uh, the fourth-string center. Um, you know, guys are – they got backups in there. Oh, and then we'll get to Micah Parsons in a minute, but Dallas had their big defensive pass rushers in there, and they were just causing all kinds of problems. The run game, which has been this, the the baseline for, for this turnaround, I think for both sides of the ball, the way they've been able to move the ball, control the clock, that never materialized. Uh, Gibson had a fumble. Terry McLaurin leaves with a concussion. He had zero catches for the first time in any game. The offense was just a mess, and I just my my, my concern here is, it's only one game and you can't go too crazy over any one result, but the things that were wrong were the things that have been wrong or that I've been worried about. They were wrong the first eight weeks for the most part. And I were concerned about even during the stretch. And it, it, it makes me nervous if I have optimism about this team going forward, that all these things to me came roaring back and the injuries are just not stopping. 
Yeah. So the injuries, I think first and foremost, going into next week against Philadelphia for the biggest game of their year two six and seven teams vying for the final wild card spot Philly, by the way, installed as four and a half point favorites in the initial line that I saw the injuries are number one for me because they just keep losing key players. I mean, now Terry McLaurin, who I think is the best player on the team, certainly the best player on their offense, even though he's underutilized uh, was catchless in this game and, and got hurt trying to catch a football that was under thrown going way up the ladder, had it in his hands would have been great if he could have caught it, but he was busy being undercut and kind of landed on his head and getting a concussion. Uh, so you didn't have him late. You know, they came out onto the field to try to go tie the game. And I made the point. I said, you got your third string quarterback, your fourth string center, a running back. Most people in the stadium had never heard of it. Just scored a touchdown and kind of carried them on a drive. Uh, maybe their player of the game. They, they had wide, you know, without McLaurin, it was like Cam Sims and Adam Humphreys. And you know, it was, it was a complete preseason crew. I mean, it was the B slash C, you know, second, third team at camp or something. It was odd. So that's what they're working with. Um, that having been said, Look, today to me was more about, as you said, a kind of a regression of a lot of the things that had gone well. And they've played well. So do not mistake what I'm saying about this winning streak as if they got lucky or something like that. Uh, they earned it. You know, the Bucks win was super impressive. I thought the Carolina win was awesome. And it was the best Heineke's he's looked. And on that day, for my money, he was the best quarterback in the NFL. That was phenomenal. Um, the two weeks since then, he was okay against Seattle. I thought he was you know, below average, frankly, in, in Vegas, and they won anyway. He was kind of a passenger. But in this game, uh, Heineke really struggled. This was probably the worst game he's played as their starter. Um, not all his fault. As you said, he was under duress early and often, but he had a pick uh, and, and a fumble that both led to points, 15 points in the first half, and they're not good enough to overcome that. But what you saw to me, Ben, was on this winning streak, I think three things were basically happening. They were playing great defense and they were allowing in a, um, you know, in a style of play that was um, very much leaning on one another offense, helping the defense, you know, symbiotic, right. They were giving up 17 and a half points per game. They gave up 18 in the first quarter. So put an X next to that. Right. Uh, they were running the ball in a way that allowed them to control time of possession and run more plays than their opponents. You know, they couldn't run the ball in this game, surprisingly enough against Dallas. Gibson ended up with 10 for 36. You know, really he was about two yards or less per carry most of the game. Um, so that, that really hurt them. And that's literally the formula is run the ball, stay on the field, time of possession, take things off of Heineke's plate. They couldn't do that. Uh, so X on there, that, that uh, protecting the football from Heineke didn't do that. You know, the interception and the fumble I mentioned X there. And, and so you kind of go around the horn and then the third down conversion. It's like, that was another huge thing in this four game streak that I didn't think was sustainable was, you know, they've been in third and five, third and six, and they're converting and, and, and it's been awesome that they're doing it. But at a rate that just seemed like it wasn't going to continue, they went three for 14 in that capacity. So all of the things, the staples of this streak at the same time kind of came crashing down and corrected themselves in a regression. And the result was they were down big to Dallas uh, before battling back and, and getting the defensive touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, right? Like, if you go back and like what was working during this four game stretch, you, you mentioned the symbiotic relationship, the players, Terry McLaurin often talks about complimentary football. And what was so fascinating is how one thing led to another, led to another, led to another by, by being able to run the ball with Gibson. It wasn't like he was putting up a like great yards per carry, 
but it was being effective enough. Uh, they were moving the chains. They were having these long drives. By doing all this, it allowed Taylor Heineke to work in from a comfortable position of play action, took some of the pressure off of him because the defense couldn't just sort of tee off. Then simultaneously, because they're winning time of possession, the defense is fresher, thus allowing them. I mean, look, like, you know, the, the big news today on the defensive side, which we'll get to, is they lose James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill to the COVID list over the last 24 hours before kickoff or around kickoff. Um, and we're making a big deal out of that. Those are the two guys replacing Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So they were already down those pieces. And the, the they're running the ball and, and, and sort of running out the clock a little bit allowed them to not be exposed as much on defense. That's with those guys. So now Dallas gets to tee off against Shaka Tony and Daniel Wise and Boomy Rotini and, and all this. Um, you know, Gaiman Davis was was not 100% he played, but like they were using David Mayo a little bit on some of the early downs. Uh, Landon Collins was back. So my point is like, yeah, all these things were working together. And when it, when the run game went away, which it went away pretty quick, in part because they just weren't able to do anything. And then also Dallas gets up to, you know, a pretty good double-digit lead pretty early. Um, it all sort of fell apart. And this is what I'm sort of saying. I think you're kind of saying the same thing. It's not like give them all the credit in the world for doing what they were doing. But what they were doing to a degree was masking their limitations. And, yeah, some of those limitations are because of the injuries. And, you know. Well, I would also say it this way because I think that that's true. But, like, for me, and I don't know if you agree with this, I just think that the way they were doing it is it's difficult. And there's no real margin for error. Like, it's hard to hold teams to around 15 points. The last two weeks, they did that. It's hard to, you know, and again, it's it's not explosive run plays. There's not chunks here. It's two and three and four at a time ahead of the sticks, third and five. So it's run, run, pass, and on third and five, you're converting. And, and that's not an easy way to live. You know, that, that will, this clock strikes midnight on that. Well, you can't when you have can't these 12-play drives all the time because correct. at some point, the 12-play drive, you know, like the reason why, like um, when teams are playing like two deep safeties, whether it's on can- against Kansas City or some other teams, the point is you want to limit the big play, thus forcing the or hoping that the other team along the way, along their 10 play drive screws up. That that's basically right. it takes the holding penalty and now it's second and 18 or a sack. And now it's, you know, third and 19 and the drive's over and you saw some of that, but the amount of things you have to do, right. The way that they were winning that have to go your way. It's, it's bountiful. And it just, it didn't happen this time. It, there was going to be a week where that wasn't the case. Now, ideally, Ben, they get to a point where they're they're getting yards and chunks and they're explosive enough that they can overcome, but they're not. And that, in health, when healthy right now, they might not be, but certainly not without McLaurin, without McKissick, uh, you know, and Antonio Gibson fumbles and Heineke turns it over twice and Kyle Allen loses the ball. I mean, you got four turnovers. That Sorry, that just won't do it. You're, you're not as talented as the team you're playing. You can't turn it over four times, period. Yeah, you know, for 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 sure. And just to sort of I mean, we can come back to, but just to put a little bit of bow on the offense here. So look, Antonio Gibson fumbled again, his sixth fumble, his third lost. That's obviously pretty inexcusable. I I always gave him sort of a pass because it was a wide receiver in college. And while that while wide receivers have to run with the ball, few of them are doing it a power way that he's doing it. And he lost another one there. Um, 
So that that's obviously concerning. And it came at a point when they were having some momentum. They had just gotten the touchdown for uh, Heineke, a great catch by Cam Sims. They've gotten some momentum there. They get a stop. Gibson fumbles, and then it looked. And then Dallas uh, scored again to make it, I think twenty-seven to eight at that point. So that's a problem. We mentioned the offensive line got a bunch of injuries. Tyler Larson was carted off with an Achilles. I'm going to assume he's. I probably shouldn't assume, but my sense would be he's probably out for the year. I somebody told me that they saw him getting carted out of the stadium when it was over, so he's out at least for a bit, if not the season, um, which means it's Keith Ismail again. Um, you know, so there's there's already that. Charles Leno left with a back issue, but he did come back. Um, there, JD McKissick. We'll see if he's able to come back. He was practicing late in the week, so I'm going to give a hope that he's back. But in terms of the quarterback, you know, again. I, you know, I'm not, we don't need to get into the discussion of whether he's the answer for next year or not, but you know, it, it just feels like Taylor Heineke lives on the edge and looks like you were saying sort of before, like how much has to go right. You know, he was missing, even when he wasn't being pressured, he was missing some throws. He threw one early pass to Curtis Samuel, who was a non-factor today. Uh, it was just like, look, really off target, by the way. So I didn't, we didn't even mention this, or at least I didn't, uh, Taylor Heineke left the game. <laughs> he got hurt in, in multiple yeah. times. He got hit a bunch today. He left at one point with, he said later was with an elbow issue. That seemed to be his biggest concern post game, but he was ultimately taken out in the fourth quarter with, with a knee injury. Kyle Allen came in and actually we'll get to him in a second, but like, anyway, Heineke is sounding like he's hopeful to play against the Eagles. I guess we'll have to see as the week goes, but he really got banged around. And I guess the ultimate point is, you know, to your point of margin of error, like it just feels like his is very con- it's constantly not much because he doesn't have the size. The, the the interception he threw, Randy Gregory jumps up, tips the ball up in the air, catches it himself, um, and runs it back into Washington territory. Um, that was a play it felt like to a degree of a because they've got a smaller quarterback. The play where Terry McLaurin gets hurt down the field, McLaurin is open. I'm watching it. It was coming towards the end zone where the press box is. I'm watching McLaurin. He's open. Not only does Heineke go late, but he throws it. He, he underthrows the pass, thus leading to a collision where McLaurin and the defensive back jump up for it, goes high, McLaurin falls, lands hard. It's football. Things happen. I get it. But, like, it was just – I mean, how many times have we talked about McLaurin and contested catches? That is in part because the quarterback isn't getting the ball timely or where it needs to be with the needed arm strength. And, you know, the, he's done a really good job, Taylor Heineke, of masking his problems and working to his strengths – but this was an example of like, man, when things go wrong, they really can kind of go wrong for him. Yeah. So I'll start by saying, I thought there were a couple of really pretty balls that he threw and, and there generally are um, the play that he extended and then threw the kind of the prayer down to the end zone to give Cam Sims a chance. is like, what is intoxicating and interesting about him? Uh, that was really a great play by Cam Sims, but it was a, also a, a good play by Heineke and he deserves credit for that. Uh, there was an incompletion early in the game where he really threw a gorgeous ball to Adam Humphreys on the sideline, yes. and he was out by a hair. And Humphreys actually took a big shot, so they ended up on that third down converting because it was a 15-yard penalty, uh, even though it was an incomplete pass. Um, that having been said, you know that's kind of the end of the road uh, as far as the, the compliments for the most part. I mean, this was a ugly performance. You know, it really was. He could have thrown four interceptions in the first half. I know – 
you know, this week on the radio show, callers were really upset with me and, and didn't like hearing, well, he, he could have thrown a pick six that was dropped by the Raiders and he threw two interceptable passes. You know, here's kind of how I evaluate this thing. I look at the process over the result and I don't, you know, give you credit if you throw a bad pass that should have been picked and it's dropped in the same way. I say all the time with interceptions, you know, if you're throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the game and it's picked, it's not the same as a bad read with a linebacker sitting in coverage. If you're throwing, you know, trying to just, just arm punted in a situationally in a way that's not going to kill you. You know, that's fine. Like all interceptions aren't created equal. His arm got hit last week on the pick. That wasn't even as bad a play as a couple of the throws that didn't get picked. That should have been today. I thought there were quite literally at least three, if not four balls that could have been picked off in that first half that were not, uh, he was not accurate. Uh, he was at times under throwing and at times overthrowing. Uh, it was just bad and he has largely been good and it has been an exciting season and he's a blast to watch and he's gritty as hell. And there's a lot of things about him. I like, but you know, I'm not going to do the thing where people just kind of pretend like it was something else. Like that's one of those games, Ben, I would say that it makes it hard to win when your quarterback plays that way. Now, would he have kind of, rounded into form and they would have gotten back into the game. We won't know. I, I guess it's possible. I just know that the numbers kind of speak for themselves when he was 11 of 25, you know, and, and 40 of his 122 yards came on, on the one kind of deep shot into the end zone where Sims made him right on a fantastic catch. Yeah. He was two for 12 in the first half. They had 29 yards at halftime on 26 plays. Again, they have a lot of issues, but ultimately the quarterback, it comes down to a lot to him. Um, so yeah, uh, for anyway, so Kyle and I do Allen, want to add really quickly that he got crushed by the Cowboys pass rush over yeah. and over again. Rivera after the game pointed out that a few times he held onto the ball. And I agree with that. I think at times he made it hard on himself early. I will say as the game went along, I thought it was, you know, at some point the O-line is going to pay the piper here. You can't just keep losing guys. And, and they were playing awesome for most of the season. I really believe that, yeah. but inevitably this is going to catch up and it did today. And I think before the end of his outing, you know, it wasn't necessarily even that he was holding the ball. I know Rivera said maybe he was hesitating a little bit or, you know, he was being a little bit, uh, what was the word he used? Like he was pressing, I think is what he said. He was, you know, you start, you 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 have enough balls tipped and batted and nearly intercepted and bad things are happening. You know, you start holding it. But I, I also thought just as the game went on, he was taking some big shots because there were some breakdowns. Yeah. And by the way, like you're right, a bunch of injuries again, if it's not clear, big credit to everybody in there. Like the MVP, I'm, I'm convinced at this point, Washington's MVP at this point in the season is their depth. It's crazy that they're even able to stay alive considering all the injuries. But ironically enough, when Micah Parsons uh, rushed inside on one play and then smushed Heineke, I believe he got past Brandon Scherf, who himself got banged up in the game, but he's not a backup, and and Parsons got past him on the one play. Um, Let's switch it over to the the defense. Um, Again, no Casey Tuhill, no James Smith-Williams, on top of no sweat, no young. That is a ridiculous situation. You have Shaka Tony, a seventh-round pick, and then a bunch of undrafted free agents playing a defensive end they started with some five defensive lineman looks again because they have depth of tackle early on they did get Landon Collins back who had an interception um in the game uh by and large I think the defense did a pretty reasonable job there were some untimely penalties William Jackson got back on the board on that front with a pass interference call um but look you had the the pick six by Cole Holcomb that made it the one score game 
And, you know, Dak Prescott certainly was not that sharp today. And I think that's why it's always hard for me to judge some of these games because you have to factor in the other team. And most of the NFL is just a pedestrian team. That That's why I have to, you know, all, all, all but like a, just a tiny handful of teams are still in the playoff hunt uh, because everybody is just so ordinary. Um, so even though Dallas has got now nine and four, have a, has a three-game lead in the division, you'd have to imagine they're, they're feeling pretty good about winning the NFC East. Um, I think Washington's defense, all things considered, did a reasonable enough job. And, you know, I I don't know what else to say about that, you know, because, I, again, I don't really even know how they're doing this. So I give a lot of credit to Jack Del Rio for putting whatever plane he's putting together um, that, that's getting these guys to get by, even with all these missing pieces. Yeah, I felt really good about the defense, honestly, which sounds kind of funny. But, I mean, remember, so seven of the 20 points are – scored by the Cowboys defense on the scoop and return on the sack fumble. Um, so now you're down to really having allowed 20 points. They allowed one touchdown in this game and it was on a 41 yard drive. Cowboys took over first and 10 from Washington's 41 went on a five play 41 yard drive uh, and scored a touchdown. And on that drive, they got that field position after a turnover, obviously uh, there wasn't a single drive where Dallas uh, massed more than 63 yards. If you look at, particularly in the second half, I mean, they went three and out or fewer plays than that with an interception on the second play four times to close out the game, you know, down the stretch, their yards per play in the second half, you know, were minuscule, well under four. So I, I thought they did a really good job bowing up a couple times after the Cowboys took over in good field position, you know, five play 15 yard drive to hold them to a field goal. Um, there was another one earlier in the game where Dallas basically took over in field goal range and, and they held him for three. So yeah, I thought they kept him in the game and, and Oh, by the way, scored a touchdown, right? I mean, got them to a point where with an extra point, they would have been within six and then had the ball back with a chance to go win the thing. The Cole Holcomb pick six was phenomenal. Uh, he's played his ass off by the way, the last couple of weeks, I think Cole Holcomb's playing hard and playing well. Um, I liked Collins's performance. It wasn't perfect. There are a couple things he'd like to have back. I'm sure uh, he got credited with two sacks. One of them, he kind of just angled Dak Prescott out of bounds right at the line of scrimmage, uh, but he had an interception. And by the way, I thought Dak was very, very pedestrian. Like the Cowboys offense did not impress me at all. Uh, they tried to stay balanced and ran the ball a bunch, but they split carries with like Corey Clement and Ezekiel Elliott. So tell me more about how healthy Ezekiel Elliott is. If you're Dallas, I mean, they, they he, you know, he's getting outworked by Corey Clement now uh, without Pollard, but Dak through a couple of really, really uh, ugly interceptions and, and had a couple more, we were talking about this with Heineke. He'll do it the other way too. That absolutely should have been picked off. One hit Kendall Fuller in the hands. Another hit Jamin Davis between the five and the two. You know, it should have been a four pick game for Dak Prescott. But uh, credit to him and, and Dallas's offense. I thought for the most part they kept Washington in the game, and, and their the defense was a big part of that. They did their job. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. So broadly on the game, is your basic takeaway that there was significant enough regression to make you concerned about where things are going down the stretch beyond the fact that there's all these injuries, or do you take away that, Hey, they were getting smoked by their rival who they're going to see again in two weeks. They came all the way back. They got to within one score. Uh, By the way, 
on the last offensive drive after the Cole Holcomb touchdown intercept pick six, they get a defensive stop and Kyle Allen is in on second down. He throws a perfect deep ball to DeAndre Carter. I might, I would have been like, I don't know, 40 yards, give or take. It was right there. Carter couldn't haul it in. And then the next play, Allen, he's going to throw a pass. He gets pressured. He's getting, he's getting taken down, goes to throw it. The ball kind of like slips off his fingertips right as he's about to throw it. It's ruled a fumble replay, uh, uh, held it up. So that's how close they kind of were to possibly tying this. So are you more of the, 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 the concerns that were there all along really showed up and the, the regression is concerning or were you, Hey, you know what? This seems to cause a lot of pluck and I'm not, it's one game ultimately. And I'm not that I'm not changing my tune that much on what I think. Well, I guess it would be more B than A of what you just presented. I mean, I've, I've really had no delusions of grandeur at any point in the sense that I think that they can and, and still potentially will make the playoffs because, you know, at six and seven, you know, look at the, the, the tie-breaking uh, methods and, and just look at everyone around them. Like everybody's six and seven. So they still handle their business. They go beat Philly. You know, they, they find a way to, to win two games down the stretch here. You know, they're going to, be potentially a team that could get in at eight and nine with some tiebreakers if they beat the right teams wouldn't shock me. But the, the fact is, if we're talking about this from a more um, larger sense, from a helicopter view, you know, 10,000 feet up, you know, it, the like what they're doing right now is the best formula to try to squeeze out a couple of wins. This isn't getting you necessarily any closer in the grand scheme. And what I mean by that is like this formula, the last month is the best way to win this second. And that's what coaching is. That's what the whole point of this thing. Right. But you are doing this based on trying to play defense and bully teams and, and take some things off your quarterback's plate and then let him kind of Russell Wilson early in his career, play some hero ball, scramble on around and make a throw or two here or there. And I, I just think that while that might be able, they, they might be able to pull that off seven, eight you know, times in a season, something like that, that that's just not going to work in the grand scheme. And it's certainly not going to work against the heavyweights uh, very often. And while I didn't think Dallas played very well, you know, they're the best team in the division, clearly. Um, so I guess my takeaway is twofold. Number one, specific to this game, I just think it was a matter of time, the way that they were playing, that you weren't going to be able to, to stay ahead of the sticks, convert on third down and play suffocating defense. And then second is the injuries. I keep coming back to that. I mean, I wouldn't worry about moving forward because of this game, if not for the injuries. Like, I don't think that games normally build on each other in this league. I'm a, I'm a person that believes each one is kind of its own entity week to week. But if you don't have Heineke, if you don't have McLaurin, um, and as you said, you're down to your fourth center. Like, it's this stuff just piles up, and it gets really, really hard. Everyone wants to talk about and use the cliche and do the next man up bit. Well, at some point, you kind of run out of next men up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I made this joke on Twitter. On the defensive end, they were next man up, next man up, next man up, next man up to the next man up when you're down your top four defensive ends of the year on top of four safeties, on top of four kickers. Uh, it gets to be a lot. Um, Last thing, it, to, to take it to the big picture, obviously injuries have happened. Chase Young's not here specifically. But when we started the season – the hype on this team was because of their defense, because of the perception of what this group could be, in large part because of the perception of what Chase Young 
I think for a lot of people already is, let alone what he may become. And look, obviously he didn't have the year that he anybody would have wanted for him before the injury. Um, and he was good last year. I mean, there is still a lot of potential. There is a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of upside there, right? And then you watch Micah Parsons today, and obviously he's played well all year. And the gap or the the perception that the people had for Chase Young, I think, is the reality is what was what I saw with with Micah Parsons. Now I'm not watching him every play in play out. I don't know exactly what's going on from him from a work standpoint or a locker room leader or any of those things totally. But in terms of like a wrecker, like if you're going to have a you're talking about building something going forward, what's sustainable? Again, we're talking about a healthy version of Chase Young. Wow, Micah Parsons was super impressive, and if he is able to stay healthy and they get the Dallas's offense works out their problems right now with, with Ezekiel being hurt and some other things. That is a scary proposition uh, in more ways than I felt like that. I have felt about chase young, even the healthy version. Again, I'm not knocking on chase young. I'm just saying Micah Parsons was just that impressive. Yeah. He's incredible. Uh, I had no idea he, he was, this could do this. I thought he was an inside linebacker. Like I, I must've, uh, shown up at the wrong party or, or parked in the wrong room. Like I didn't, I'm like, that's Micah Parsons the the, the edge rusher. What, what are we doing here? Uh, what a talent. He is an absolute world eater and a game wrecker. And he wrecked the game today. Uh, you're right about, you know, the, the comparison to chase. I understand what you're saying, right? It, there's no necessarily need to compare them, but the point is we spent a lot of time last year talking about how good chase young was. Chase Young's rookie year was nothing like this. I mean, it just wasn't. Uh, He was the deserved rookie of the year in a seven and a half sack season, but he didn't have a game like Micah Parsons had today from an impact standpoint. He had some huge plays. If you go back, scored a touchdown against San Francisco, scooped it and returned it. Uh, He had a huge hit on Joe Burrow at the goal line last year against Cincinnati to save points and turn the Cincinnati Bengals over. Like there were some things like that along the way, some big hits some big sacks. But there was nothing like this today uh, where Parsons just lived in the backfield and was destroying everything wanted Washington wanted to do and, and turn the game uh, with his sack fumble. And I think he said, you know, anecdotally, just as watching from afar, two or three games like this, uh, he will win defensive player of the year. He could just stop playing right now the rest of the season, and that's his award. And just to be clear, you're, say, you're not saying rookie. Are you saying the real one? Uh, so, so I misspoke defensive rookie of the year, but what I would say is I, I think there's a real chance he could win defensive player of the year. Now there are other guys I like TJ Watt might be a, a pick and uh, miles Garrett is in the conversation, Aaron Donald as well. But, but my point is that when I miss like, he could not play another down. He's the D Roy. I yeah. think there's a chance he could also be the D Poy, if you will. Um, and that's just not a thing that chase young uh, was in line for what we were talking about last year, but, yeah, he's – I hate to say it, but he's got a long way to go to get on Parsons' level. Yeah, and also just lastly, like when we talked before, you were talking before about the margin of error that like is – they don't have a lot. Whatever James Smith-Williams and Casey Tool have been doing and replacing Young and Sweat, and they've done fine. I don't think anybody's complaining about what they're doing. But then you see what – you remember what Chase Young could do, and then you see what Parsons can do, and that's a big difference. Like when you don't have – when you're – when you're limited, whether it's because of injuries or just what you have on your roster at a given position, that's the difference is seeing a guy like Parsons who can come in, make a couple of plays that changes the dynamic of a game or, or at a minimum, a series, whatever. And um, that that's the difference. And that that's what separates the stars from the other guys. And Micah Parsons was a big star today. I, 
I'm going, I'm about to go back and watch the game again uh, before I go to bed here when the Sunday night game's over. Leno come back into the game, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah he did. Okay. And, and the reason I bring that up, it was just kind of funny anecdotally. Uh, Leno leaves, toughs it out, comes back in, stays in. But Parsons, <laughs> we, we were in the press box, we're going, oh my God, you know, Sadiq Charles is the tackle right now on the left side. And uh, someone said, like, Where's Micah Parsons? I said, well, he's lined up on the other side, rushing against uh, Cornelius Lucas. And someone's like, well, does it? I, I said, well, I, I would move him over. Someone said, does it matter? And, and Lucas has played well, but the point is, like, he's that good. It, it does not matter if he's going up against Leno or Lucas or, uh, you know, Sadiq Charles. Like, he's a mismatch. He's a problem. And it's, you know, what a, what an asset he is for the Cowboys in that regard. You know, Washington's got some really good football players in their own right that, that people take a lot of pride in, rightfully so. But um, it is sure nice to have a guy like that on your defense. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Grant is uh, – I've kept him here too long. Go, go obviously, you already follow him on Twitter, at Grant H. Paulson. You listen to him on 106.7 The Fan uh, every uh, afternoon, uh, the drive time and all that. Um and uh, beyond that, look, I mean, what can I say? They, they they did some decent things. They kept it close. But ultimately, the things that were concerning were concerning. Uh, well, and, and I will say, too, that this might sound a little bit cliche and, and kind of hackney. You tell me if this is like cringe or you buy it. But I really do believe like this is a game where we've seen in years past where they get just annihilated at home. Like, uh, you know, maybe not like Monday night massacre style against the Eagles, but there have been plenty of games through the years that start the way that first quarter did or go the way that first half did, particularly with the injuries that would come in the second half. And it becomes like a 36 to 13 kind of game. And I really do give them a lot of respect, particularly on defense for how they finished and how they fought. Now, this is the big leagues, and there's no moral victories. I'm not sitting here pretending like anybody should throw a parade when they get back to Ashburn tonight. <laughs> but uh, I think we've seen this game end up being a blowout loss a lot, and they had the ball down seven in the waning moments, and that's a pretty stunning revelation considering how this game went. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and just like to sort of to go to that point, you're right. In comparison to Washington teams we've seen in year in the last decade or so, there's not really much to complain about at all. I'm already just past the bar of Ron Rivera has done a really good job in two years. I mean, look, there are things to complain about, and I'm not saying he's Vince Lombardi, but like he's raised the bar enough. I mean, he hasn't had a you know a, a stable quarterback situation since he's been here. The injuries have been pretty significant, all that stuff, right? Um, he and yet um they play pretty they play pretty hard they play they play for each other for him all that stuff to to be cliche there like i've already raised the bar in my head which is why i'm saying today for me was concerning because the things that they've been able to do to mask their problem something that previous teams would not have been able to do yeah so just came undone no it's interesting because i don't i guess i haven't necessarily raised the bar yet like I still view them as like a seven and 10 type team that was uh, out kicking their coverage for a few weeks and playing over their heads, so to speak. Well, that's what um, I mean. I just mean that they're a professional outfit. Like they're going to yeah. do what they need to do in any given day, time, whatever. Whereas previous teams, it was you know somewhat of a clown show. And once one thing started to go wrong, it all went wrong. 
And here, sure. I mean, like I said, I think the MVP of the team is the depth. It's insane what they're pulling off. Um, you know, so um, I, yeah, I'm just saying I'm raised the bar from my expectation of them being not a clown show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think Rivera's done a really good job to your point, uh, just from a head coaching overall coaching standpoint, this staff in general, Del Rio turning the defense around um, Scott Turner's got the offense mostly competitive and plenty of weeks successful, still having never really had a true viable, legit starting quarterback to work with. You know, the tough thing we're going to have is and today, maybe isn't the day to do it, but as we discuss Rivera, you know, you bring up that you're impressed with the job he's doing. And, and my first thought is I totally agree. And, and then as you go, you know, uh, editorialize you you say, well, and he hasn't had the quarterback. I mean, that's his own decision-making because he's the GM. He's the reason he hasn't had a quarterback. Um, you know, you talk about uh, the injuries. Well, they brought a trainer in here from Carolina who is no longer with the team because they had their facility raided and their entire training staff's been in shambles because his assistant is also out. It's like, I can't imagine that has benefited their situation trying to stay healthy and get guys back from injuries. So while I, I totally agree, like I, I always separate Rivera, the head coach, Rivera, the grand poobah in the front office, whatever his title we want to call him is president football ops. Like I have a lot of questions about the president football ops, which is an unprecedented role that he's never had before doing both. Like as a coach, how can you look at this team and not say, Damn, I mean, he's he's really done a good job of keeping them together, and despite all of what they're missing, like having them play really hard and winners of four or five, like be in all of these games, like that's saying something. Yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day, there are maybe a couple teams at the top of the NFL and a couple teams at the bottom that are really good or lousy. Everybody else is somewhere in the middle, and when you have that, it's hard to say definitively anything. I mean, is how I would view it. I think Rivera's done some good things. I can absolutely point to some holes in the resume that he, that, that, that have happened. You mentioned the quarterback thing. I mean, I, you know, it's amazing how a choice that was made before he was hired, Dwayne ha- drafting Dwayne Haskins has impacted his two first years significantly because he had to probably, I would love to know if I could give him the sodium pentothal, did you have to keep Dwayne Haskins or did you not? Because if he if he felt he had to, then there was no even discussion about doing something else at quarterback that first year, which then leads into the second year where they tried to get Stafford, Matthew Stafford. They didn't. They got Fitzpatrick, who was arguably the best vet available. He gets hurt in the first game. But because they already had him, maybe they felt we didn't need to trade up for Mac Jones or Justin Fields, and the, the cycle continues. So, like, you you know, he's in charge. He's just to live with the consequences of the choices he's made. But uh, it would be interesting to see what would happen if they didn't have 8,000 injuries and Fitzpatrick had yeah. stayed. On the other hand, I maybe it wouldn't have been any better or worse. And you, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to be wishy-washy, but this is the point. Like, it isn't just a civil black and white answer. He's done good things. And there are other things you can question. But uh, I think by and large, I'm saying from like a basic competency standpoint, he's raised the bar enough where – um, I don't view them as that joke team anymore that we did for a lot of, for a lot of years, which isn't the same as saying they're a, they're an 11 win team and they're going to challenge green Bay and Tampa Bay. Right. No, there's no doubt. And they're at a point now where they went into a game in December against the divisional front runner and clear favorites in a team that a lot of people have somewhere in the top 10 in the NFL and their power rankings. And a lot of people thought they were going to win today. I know they were, you know, Ridge like three point dogs going into the day. And then it swung a few more points and it ended up being six, six and a half, but they were right there uh, before the game. And a lot of people were picking them and thought they had the momentum. So 
that just speaks to where the program's at. I think this Eagles game, I'm completely fascinated by, you know, the Eagles are like Washington, by the way, are just a, a really odd, difficult team to predict. There are weeks where they look really good. There are weeks where they look dreadful. Uh, their quarterback situation similarly is a complete conundrum where if you ask some people in that fan base, they found their guy in Jalen Hurts and other people say there's absolutely no way he could be our QB one for any extended period of time. If we're trying to win championships, uh, which is, you know, it's the infighting that we experience here in DC with, with Heineke. So I, I just think it's going to be a, you know, a big week leading up to it. And it's going to be a really captivating game. Absolutely. All right. So we'll talk more about that here on the podcast. Of course, if you, if you don't already, but you're just here because you wanted to hear Grant's dulcet tones, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting, uh, subscribe to the athletic and go see what I wrote. David Aldridge will have a column up in the morning. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig, follow Grant at Grant H Paulson. Um, and, uh, listen to Grant on the radio, one Oh six, seven, the fan, uh, sir, appreciate it. We could talk more about this team. And what the good thing is you have many hours on the radio to do just that this week. So I look forward to hearing that. Appreciate the time. Yeah. I think 22 and a half hours or so to sort that out, get to the bottom, take out a shovel and, uh, you know, work out the, all their problems for well, uh, coach. Bear. I'm sure you spent half that time on Georgetown beating Syracuse, but then after that you can get to. Exactly. So 11. All right, man. I appreciate it. See you, Ben.